Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome once again to Melbourne Park, where just over an hour ago, Arena Sabalenka became the first woman since Victoria Azarenka to defend an Australian Open title. She did it 6-3, 6-2 in an hour and 16 minutes over China's Zhang Chinwen, who will make her top 10 debut on Monday. You find myself, Catherine Whitaker, Matt Roberts on uh, the Australian Open's equivalent of Henman Hill. It really needs a name. I can't. It. I can't keep introducing <laughs> it as that very long-winded thing. But anyway, that is exactly where you are, where we are rather. And uh, we are just the two of us tonight. David is a little under the weather. Nothing to be worried about. But I have instructed him to go to bed. So David, if you're listening, go to friggin' bed. Uh, So we're here. It's a little bit deserted. The men's doubles final is on. If we don't get the result of that in tonight's show, we'll of course cover it tomorrow. Uh, I like this spot, Matt. We're in deck chairs. I think it's the first ever deck chair podcast recording. I would though say we're at high risk of bird poo events. A lot of seagulls Mm. in our midst. Yeah, there's going to be a seagull soundtrack to tonight's show. It's it's all ambiance, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's what David would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you hear a big splat, you'll know exactly what it is. So Irina Sabalenka then, a two-time Grand Slam champion, a two-time Australian Open champion. A match, Matt, would it be fair to say that quite closely resembled what we were expecting? Yeah, I think so. And Look, it wasn't a vintage Grand Slam final by any means. I think um, I had that slightly horrid feeling of watching the clock throughout and just sort of wanting it to to keep going and, and, and be as good as it possibly could be. Um, I, I also think it was one of those Grand Slam finals where, honestly, I didn't have a huge amount of hype going in. Like, sometimes you get a match that you're really excited for and then it lets you down, you know, because it isn't the match that you're expecting. And in a way, I kind of prefer those because at least you get the hype. You get you get a lot of excitement looking it's forward to it. It's more about the journey than the destination. Mm. Whereas this one, just considering the path that Zhang Xinwen had had through and hadn't faced anyone close to Irina Sabalenka's uh, calibre and the fact that it was going to be her first Grand Slam final versus Sabalenka, who just looked in the form of her life, I always felt like it would be pretty one-sided and... And that's what it was. A, and honestly, it was a case of Zhang Wen having not seen Arena Sabalenka's pace. I know we joked about that the other night, but I was so struck by the fact that Sabalenka wasn't having to hit winners all over the all over the court. She was just having to hit hard and deep and powerful, and she was doing those things. And most of the time, that pace on her shots was enough because Zhang Wen you know who had her moments there were some that there were some nice points that she put together but generally she just couldn't really handle uh, the pace and power of of Irina Sabalenka who was very composed throughout didn't drop serve once and um is a is a worthy worthy champion here yeah the the, the winners thing was so interesting because after the first set they flashed up the winner stats on the big screen and Zhang Xinwen had outwinned Sabalenka more than 2 to 1 I think it was I think it was 11-4 11-4 right and it it was just your classic example of a stat I mean 
not even not telling the story of a match, telling an entirely misleading story of a match because it actually revealed exactly what you just described. Sabalenka wasn't having to go for winners. She wasn't having to go near the line. It was the absolute opposite of the Coco Goff match, which is Sabalenka feeling like she has to go mm. for the ultimate shot in order for it to be good enough to beat the athleticism of, of Coco Goff. And she was so in her comfort zone tonight apart from a couple of moments when she felt the tension most notably serving out the match that was that was a fun game mm. wasn't it but by then the scoreline was so in her favour that it was hard to feel like it was jeopardy yeah absolutely and and I think what was really notable as well was the fact that Zhang Wen had this incredible support at the start of the match there were pockets of Chinese fans all around the Rod Laver Arena and she got an amazing reception onto court, as did Sabalenka. But you know, there was—it it felt like the crowd were with Jung Shim Wen, just about. But when she won the game at, to go five-two in the second set, there was kind of no reaction because everyone was like, mm, "This, this is actually done by now." And, and even if Jung Shim Wen had had managed to break back in that final game, it, it, it didn't feel like there was any jeopardy because of just how in control Sabalenka had been and how superior she had been generally and how dominant she was on, on serve. You felt like even if she was broken once, chances are the next time she would have landed her first serves and Zhang Xinwen couldn't really handle that first serve all night. Um, so, yeah, look, it wasn't it wasn't a vintage Grand Slam final, but it was a pretty vintage performance for Marina Sabalenka as it has been all tournament. Yeah, and just just because she made it look easy doesn't mean it was simple right I think it, it's it's important to remember that I know she didn't drop a set all tournament I know that Coco Goff was the only person against whom she dropped more than three games in a set it was an utterly do- dominant run to a title it it, it really was she, she signposted it from the first match didn't she it's amazing to think that it's the same player that was losing to getting ripped to shreds by Elena Rabakina in the in the Brisbane final but yeah she she signposted it right from match one here in Melbourne and continued it through all seven matches but in the bigger contest top context this is a player that two years ago and Pam's always pointing this out isn't she she did it two nights ago had like the biggest case of the yips on the most important shot in the game that most people can remember like it was utterly ridiculous the situation that she was in on serve yeah she was serving over 20 double faults in 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 some matches there was one match here where she I remember served 10 and like said afterwards I'm so happy I only served 10 double faults like it was really really bad and and sort of wider context as well like you know she, she used to be a player who couldn't reach the second week of majors, even though she was one of the best players on the tour. She has totally transformed that. She is now the most consistent at the majors, has reached six semi-finals in a row. And, you know, a lot of last season, she did struggle in, in big matches, not necessarily to win them. You know, she reached two major finals. That means you've won a lot of big matches, but there was a lot of stress in those matches. And I was just struck by how little stress there was for her all tournament and particularly tonight and in the semi-final we spoke about it there was some stress in that first set against Goff but she put it past her and hit through it and that, that's a, that's an evolution I would say and just on that um, Brisbane final just a couple of weeks ago I was looking back our pre-tournament predictions that we do with some of our oh, no. with some of our friends of the podcast not one person predicted Irina Sabalenka to win this tournament. And there's, you know, about 70 people in that predictions competition. So, you know, I think that's probably a pretty reflective, you know, take on what people were feeling about Sabalenka coming in. A lot of people had her going deep, of course, but actually getting over the line, people probably had the Brisbane final in mind. They probably had some of the matches that she played last year in mind. And, okay, the draw opened up. It absolutely did. But she still had to beat Coco Goff in a huge match. She still had to beat someone who's going to be a top 10 player next week. And she just put the hammer down and delivered. And, yeah, I think it's I think it shouldn't be lost in the 
simplicity of the score lines the as you said the journey she's been through to get here and and the work she's put in to be able to perform so well in in, in these big matches on reflection we we said it at the time didn't we the coco golf match had the atmosphere of a, a final mm. that that was the obstacle wasn't it that was the only real obstacle on reflection with the benefit of hindsight standing in the way of Arena Sabalenka and and defending this title and and (laughs) even then the match was on her racket you know I'm trying to think if there's anybody I'm trying to filter for recency bias here as we always are but I'm also trying to think if there's any match up in tennis at the moment where the match isn't on Arena Sabalenka's racket? Well, I would say the Brisbane final against against Rabatkina a few weeks ago didn't feel like it was on Sabalenka's racket. I mean, I cannot stress enough how good Rabatkina <laughs> was in that match. Where did that player go? Uh, well, to Adelaide, I think, and, and it all went wrong. Um, but absolutely, like... It might only be that one on a really quick hard court. I, I, you know, I think Rabatkina has got an even better serve than Sabalenka when she's serving well, and it felt like was, she was pretty dominant. Was Brisbane quicker than here? I know it's really tough because so. we weren't in Brisbane, but we are here, really. <laughs> um, but yeah. could, could that be a feature? I think so. I think I always think of Brisbane as quick, um, and it felt very quick when Rabatkina was playing as she was but yeah that's that's it and it comes with an a, enormous amount of pressure I think when a match is on your racket mm. I, you know it, it's a good it's a it's a great thing but also it can, it comes with pressure and just think Sabalenka's getting getting better at, at reining it in at dealing with it and um, coping with that pressure that's that's on her shoulders in in, in these matches yeah and and overcoming her own demons I think I mean I, I th- I, I feel quite confident now in saying that the, sem, the Grand Slam semi-final demons are put to bed, given that that was the the biggest match of this tournament. It came at the stage that she's traditionally had the most issues. I feel like I feel I, I feel confident saying that. I'm not going to think oh, but she could struggle because it's a Grand Slam semi-final, kind of regardless of other factors anymore. Yeah, I think I agree. I think. You know, I say that because there was a time when, all due respect to Magdalenette, the take was, okay, she's done it, but it was Magdalenette. Right. <laughs> and she's done it enough times now, not against Magdalenette, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, she's beaten uh, Madison Keys in, in New York, wasn't it? And then Coco Goff tonight. I think just, you know, she, she plays such high-risk tennis that in high-pressure environments there's always probably going to be a chance that it it will go off but I don't think it will go off in quite as dramatic fashion as maybe it has done in the past I think and sort of she'll be able to rein it in um, and yeah I just you know she's reached three straight hard court slam finals hasn't she and I think what makes her so interesting is she feels like the only player right now on the WTA tour who is a contender at all Awful. the majors you know mm. Sviontek still hasn't cracked the grass Rebecca I feel like she could be but she just you know she's falling a little bit short at the majors just in in the last well in the last 12 months since her final here and then you know Sabalenka has, has set herself apart as, as someone who is going to be contending at all of them and so she's probably going to play more of these big matches, so she probably is going to lose more. But I think generally she's getting much better in them. And, um, you know, that's, that's been really great to see because I struggled to watch Sabalenka in the past when, when this massive game would just go off and it felt like it was either hot or cold. I think there's, there are more grey areas to her game now. I'm sort of I'm, I'm, I'm mixing metaphors there, but... <laughs> You know, there's a there's a bit more um, texture, I think, to her game, and, and and she's able to to just have it under control more. And I love watching that. I was here in 2012 and 13 when Victoria Zarenka won those back to back titles, and 
I don't think anybody expected her to sort of clean up and just start winning everything at that time simply because of the era that she she peaked in, which was, you know, obviously a peak Serena Williams mm. era. But I'm not sure anybody would have expected her not to win any other slams and, and to win to win anywhere else besides Australia. So, I mean, you do... You do kind of get specialists at particular slams, and I, I, I thought of that with the reception that Irina Sabalenka gets here. There is a kind of, there's a proprietary vibe, I think, here in Australia over her because it's like we're the one that she's won. She's, she's ours, and I do expect her to win others elsewhere. But it, you know, Azarenka is a kind of cautionary tale that that's not a given. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and there's been an evolution with the way she's been received here by the crowds. It was, it was five years ago where the, the crowd used to mock and laugh at her grunt. And, and I was very happy to say today, you know, she really did receive a lot of support. And I think she's on a 14-match unbeaten streak on the Rod Laver Arena. She loves that, that court. She loves that that atmosphere that's here she's always talking about the atmosphere isn't she in 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 all of her interviews it's kind of become her trademark um you know Sabalenka bingo um and I think you know that's one of the fascinating things about tennis the the different identities that all of the slams have and I think you know last year's French Open was very stressful for Sabalenka when she didn't do the press conferences there was a lot going on there Wimbledon she's been banned from you know going back there you know that brings its own stress and and the US Open just is a stressful tournament end of the season it's very loud you know that that suits some players it, it doesn't suit others and I know she's done well at the US Open but kind of felt like her sort of pretty chaotic final that she played against Goff was partly due to the crowd and the atmosphere and the occasion and it's just it's just a calmer tournament. It's a it's a much calmer stadium, the Rod Laver Arena, than than the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Like it, it, it goes silent in a way that the Arthur Ashe Stadium doesn't, mm. and it just feels like Sabalenka really, really fits well with this tournament. So I think that's that's very true. What you say, like we can we can sit here and think, wow, Sabalenka can contend at all the Slams, and of course she can. And I think that's going to have to be a goal for her, isn't it? Win another slam this year that isn't the Australian Open. In a way that, you know, she came close last year, couldn't quite manage it. If she does that this year, that would be a real kicking on. But it's, it's, it's no guarantee because, well, because of what we've just said and because of, you know, the other, the other great players that there are. What about Zheng Xinwen, poor Zheng Xinwen, who had to sit there with a face in a towel while they, while they knocked up a stage on the Rod Laver Arena on which to, to conduct the ceremony. Petition all, to stop All that. the slams do this, apart from Wimbledon, who, who just do a carpet <laughs> and a line-up of bald kids. Um, you don't need a stage, guys. And, and today it was just, it was just AO branding. Yeah, like, which that's is everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> it was just a big AO. Um, yeah, I just... I know it's the privilege of us being in the stadium and, you know, we don't have all all the slow-mos and the punditry that people at home are, are watching during that period like to us it's more stark the fact that we're just sitting there watching a, a devastated player on a chair uh, while a load of dignitaries are standing at the side and a, and a bunch of hench young men <laughs> erect um, uh, pieces of furniture and then crawl on top of the pieces of furniture and start polishing <laughs> polishing the surface it, it does look pretty weird when when you kind of take yourself out of it for a moment but anyway Zhang Xinwen uh, did so well in the speeches I thought given all of that she said though she said oh this is a tough moment for me because I feel like I could have done better and I just wondered what you thought about that because maybe Coco Goff aside it's almost hard to see anybody doing better against Sabalenka today but and, and look uh, it's her first Grand Slam final. I wouldn't expect her to to put in the the best performance of her life, of course. But is there anything she she could have done with her game as it stands at the moment? I don't think so. I I, I think maybe the only thing would be to have used her athleticism more. Like, 
but again that's so hard because you know it, it's that thing you have a plan until you get hit in the face you have a plan until Arena Sabalenka oh David is here <laughs> you have a plan until Arena Sabalenka hits a huge backhand return at you but it did feel like there were a couple of occasions where the, the rallies she managed to extend and do that thing of sliding into her shots and, and putting a little bit of shape and loop on the ball but it was not even a handful of times but it, there were one or two but look I think there were there are developments in her game which need need to happen. I I said to you halfway through that I just I think her serve is is pretty predictable right now. You know, I was I was noticing on the deuce side she seemed to always well, most of the time be serving out wide and certainly that was the the serve that was winning her more points. And I they have a function on the Australian Open website where you can tell the, the sort of placement of the serve and I think she only hit one body serve in, in kind of the entire match. And I think against Sabalenka, that's a great serve, jamming her up, mm. not allowing her the, the freedom of, of the swings. Um, and also it, it became pretty unreliable, didn't it? I mean, the, the game she got broken at, right at the start of the second set, she hit three double faults in it. And I know that's partly the, the intimidation of the Sabalenka return, but I do think that serve, which we know she's working on, it was actually winning her a lot of free points when she was getting the first serve in in that first set, but it was unreliable and a little bit predictable, I would say. Well, this is it. There is, there's a, this stat that was circulating about Zhang Xiumen ahead of this final, which is that I think for, for 2023 on tour, she had the highest uh, win percentage of points when the first serve goes in, but one of the lowest first serve percentages. So it's right. kind of like, great like okay um i'm sure there's a, a really neat uh, analogy that i i could come up with there but i went to sleep at 4 30 a.m <laughs> last night um but it, I, I i think i tend to come down on the fact that it's better to be this good and to be reaching grand slam finals with so many obvious areas for improvement in your game and areas that i think definitely can be improved like I I think she has the athleticism mm. and good movement. I just don't think she has the tools to make that a feature of her game. Like her defensive hand and racket skills aren't there, but I, her her physicality and athleticism is there. I think she needs to add some more defensive shots and some more defensive nous to her game so she can turn defence into attack better and exactly as you say on, on the serve and but the raw materials are there. I just hope an experience like this isn't damaging mm. for her. Yeah. I, I think basically she just wasn't ready yet mm. to win a Grand Slam title against Arena Sabalenka in the final. And as we've said all week, and, and I'm really not someone who says, oh, she didn't beat anyone on en route to the final. You know, like you beat who you have to beat in front of you. But I think you can... And look, there are plenty of examples of, for example, Ella Fernandez's run to the US Open final was incredible. Like, she beat a calibre of player that was extraordinary. But, like, that hasn't carried on, really. So, like, each tournament is kind of its own thing, mm. isn't it? But that being said, like, there was a big gap in the quality of, of her opponents. And I think, I think she's right where she is. Like, she's a, she's a top-ten player who is going to get a lot of wins and beat most of the players she should be beating but there's a gap that she's that she needs to make up on on the very best and she's got time she's got the stability in her coaching team now and she's got the raw materials to do that but it's it's going to take some time you were rudely talked talked over there Matt by an extremely aggressive seagull that is that is coming for us he's just seen seen off one of his friends (laughs) um yeah, there's a, a seagull standoff. I think we're in the middle of it, actually. Anyway, um, she'll she'll make her top ten debut next week, and I I think you're exactly right. That's that's where she is right now, right? She's a she's a rising player. That good on her for taking advantage of the opportunity that was presented to her. But I feel like this is a a spike in a gentler curve, yeah, rather than a change of course. Um, a change of the curve the course of the curvature my brother will be head in hands <laughs> at that graph 
lingo. It was no good, but I hope I hope you generally understood uh, what I was saying. Uh, I'm trying to do some detective work uh, with my big, big contacts at the WTA about what the uh, Arena Sabalenka trophy photo shoot might mm. look like, because of course. The gondola photo shoot of last year was truly iconic. Tough to beat. Tough. To, well, exactly. Where do you go from there? <laughs> what would you like to see? You can't run it back, can you? You've got to do something different. Can't go gondola again. No. I'm trying to think of... I mean, I, I do think using the Yarra is is great, though. Like using the mm-hmm. Yarra River as, a, as the backdrop. Swimming in the Yarra? No. Well, OK, you've done boat on the Yarra... You don't want to swim. What else can you do with the Yarra? Must be a nice bridge. <laughs> it's not very Sablenka, though, is it? She doesn't want no, it'd be, pi- fun. It'd be more fun than yeah. that, won't it? Most people listening to this probably know exactly what she's yeah, done for that thinking, photo Thank shoot. God you weren't involved in the choreography. <laughs> uh, it's fun. I love how much she enjoys the moment of when she really seems to just let herself enjoy it you know the old being present and being in the moment thing I think for a lot of players very understandably and I I I think I would be like this if if I were a Grand Slam champion trying to put myself into those impossibly distant shoes I think I'd be somebody that would be so overcome by complicated mixes of emotions that I wouldn't quite be able to just feel pure joy in that moment and and I think that's fine, or I hope that's fine. But Sabalenka seems to feel completely uncomplicated joy when she wins these things, and I just love that mm. for her. And which is, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? Because I I do think that playing tennis and you know winning big titles is actually quite complicated for Arena Sabalenka. You know, she's she's told us that, hasn't she? In terms of what an influence her father was mm. on obviously her life but on her career and she said in the in the Netflix show that she, you know they they'd said to each other that she wanted to win a couple of grand slam titles i think by the time she was 25 or 26 and you know she has now done that um and i you know it was it was kind of the first time that she'd mentioned her family in 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 a post match speech wasn't it she said and and yet it does just come out as what seems to be sheer joy and she's she's strutting backstage <laughs> with the trophy and writing something on her on her fitness trainer's head and and like finding it amusing and fun and joyful and and that is that is very special mm, yeah i think so um what does the year have in store for sabalenka then how many of these things is she winning is she getting back to number one do some recency bias for us, Matt. <laughs> if David were here, he'd be predicting the uh, the calendar golden slam, obviously. I think she'll get back to number one. I do. Um, and if I had to say right now... Yeah, I would say one more this year, actually. I, I know I sort of made the case earlier that uh, it's, you know, it's, it's very different at all the others, but... She's playing better now than she mm. was at any point last year. I, I do think she's she's improved from all the experience that she's built up and you know the off season that she's had. Like, she also doesn't seem to get injured. No, which that's true. like you know anything can happen to anybody, but some players are more injury prone than others, whether by luck or by design in terms of the who, who you have on your team and physios and what you're investing in and all of that so I, I don't know what it's down to probably a mix of it all but it's a tremendous asset to have I mean that was a, a big factor in Roger Federer's success for so many years he just didn't get injured did he it was you know and that schedule management and body management and all of that but she does seem to be on top of things physically she knows what her body can handle and she knows how to manage the rigors of the tour um and that's that's all part of being at the top, isn't it? Um, I just want to... I, I, I mean, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm a glutton for punishment. But uh, a few people on in our Instagram mentions, so therefore I'm sure all over the internet, saying things like, what a horrible final for women. This is why no one watches women's tennis. So disappointing. And I just... 
it's messages like that and a sentiment out like that that I know is out there in the ether and far more prevalent than it should be that makes me so anxious watching women's big any big women's matches but in particular a big women's final where all due respect to the men's doubles final that's on now it kind of all hinges on on that one match and I just feel so sorry for those women that are playing not only for the biggest thing in their own lives but having to represent all of women's sport and justify the existence of female athletes all at the same time it just sucks so much and the pressure of it being best of three and there being limited time in which to do that it's it just sucks I think the whole situation just sucks it does yeah the patriarchy sucks (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah that's about the size of it isn't it planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Right, Matt. No, David. Oh, so yeah. I want I'm some, pumped. I've got my beer. I want some gusto here. I want I want day one gusto worthy of two people, okay? Okay. Throughout this Australian Open, we are proud to be sponsored by On Location, the, the premium, premium hospitality and experience provider. provider. Woo! That is seen off some seagulls <laughs> as well, so... Uh, that's that's great two birds one stone on location has fantastic ticket hospitality and travel packages available for any tournament that matters pretty much in tennis the bnp paribas open indian wells miami open madrid roland garros wimbledon the u.s open and the labor cup and as we've been telling you we have a 10 percent discount code for tennis podcast listeners on all 2024 Roland Garros official VIP ticket packages courtesy of Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours. Now, those packages get you, of course, excellent tickets to watch the tennis on Philippe Chetchier, but also, Matt, access to La Mezzanine at L'Orangerie. Um, I <laughs> think that on location should let us experience La Mezzanine at L'Orangerie at Roland Garros this year so I can really sell it with gusto. <laughs> Uh, it's nestled in the heart of the famous Autoy greenhouses, uh, which is, they are beautiful, those greenhouses. They are quite far from the rest of Roland Garros, <laughs> but it's worth the trip. Uh, and certainly if you're getting cocktails and hors d'oeuvres in a contemporary and refined setting, what could be better? Um, you can even upgrade to premium access at Club de Loge Lounge, which enables you to get even closer to the action. We've never been to Club de Loge Lounge, but I can only assume it's great. So, to buy an official VIP ticket package to Roland Garros and take advantage of that incredible 10% discount, just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and use the discount code CLAYSEASON at checkout. And a reminder that we also have a 5% discount code to pretty much all tennis events besides 
the Olympics. In emails, Miami, Madrid, Wimbledon, US Open and Labour Cup in Berlin. And that is exclusively for friends of the tennis podcast. So if you want to become a friend and access that discount code, the link to do so is in our show notes. Of course, terms and conditions do apply. Now, Matt, the men's singles final tomorrow. What's going to happen? I can tell you that the the bookies, I don't know whether they are bookies anymore or whether it's it's AI <laughs> of some kind, but they have Yannick Sinner as quite a heavy favourite. Discuss. I would probably have Sinner as the favourite too. I think when you... Like, it feels like there's three different elements here. There's the tennis that they're playing. Tick for Yannick Sinner. There's the physicality and the freshness and how they will feel physically on the court. Again, tick for Yannick Sinner. He has spent, I think, six hours less on on court than Medvedev through this tournament. And Medvedev has had some very late finishes as well, which, which really take their toll. And then there's... Grand Sam experience, and that is tick for Daniil Medvedev. This is now his sixth Grand Sam final versus Yannick Sinner's first. I do think, sort of see previous discussion, that's slightly less of a big deal for a men's final where it is best of five. You know, Yannick Sinner, if he's mm. if he's tight to begin with, he's got time to to find his best game. Um, and I, I guess it just depends how much of an emphasis you do put on that experience that Daniil Medvedev has got. The only thing I would say is, like, kind of like what I said yesterday, he hasn't got the experience of being in this position, of being the more experienced. You know, it is his first time doing that. And that does change the dynamic for him, I think, in a slam final. Um, I suppose you could also factor in the head-to-head. And again, like, it's tough to know where to give the edge there because obviously Medvedev leads it overall. He's he's six three ahead, and he was six six and zero oh in their first six. And like that doesn't just go away. Like there is something in that matchup that Medvedev has liked, and as good as Yannick Sinner has become and has got, there are still elements to this matchup that Medvedev likes. And and he said that didn't he in the press conference? He said Sinner's just played better. Yeah. He doesn't feel like it's been that different. I know Sinner's come forward a little bit more against him. He's he's thrown in a few drop shots. Like there have been some elements, but but if you, if your drop shot isn't great, I'm winning the tournament. <laughs> exactly. And I do. I can't stop thinking about the final that they played in Miami, which was I think uh, this that was the the final win that Medvedev scored over. Sinner at that stage that was yet another win Sinner had never beaten him now I keep thinking about that because I was there for it I watched it from courtside so it just stays with you that little bit more I wasn't there for the couple of victories that he got over Medvedev in the back end of the season you were there for the one in Turin right I was but I didn't see it oh (laughs) I I mean I did watch it but I wasn't courtside for that one thanks for exposing my I think it was an afternoon session. Anyway, <laughs> I've had long days. Um, I w- <laughs> I'm so derailed. <laughs> Look, I'll press on with my original point, even though everyone's thinking she's got no credibility left I'll at shut all. up. Um, I watched that with my own eyes, and I remember thinking, Austin is never going to beat this guy. Like, he's got no chance. Now, obviously, that was... Medvedev on a ridiculous winning streak. Yes, he'd lost the the Indian Wells final to to Alcaraz, but apart from that, he was just right in the zone, wasn't he? Um, but it was also such a match up problem. You know, Yannick Sinner was it was it was panic really. He was like, I can't beat this guy. Alcaraz did it by playing a load of drop shots. Why don't I try that? And it re- that was the ultimate if you haven't got a good drop shot, I'm going to win the tournament match. Like, that is the match that that most gave birth to that incredible Medvedevism that we can add to the list of Medvedevisms. So I, I agree with you. Like, in deep in my tennis impression is, is 
Sinner having a fundamental match-up problem with Daniel Medvedev. Now, those can be turned around. They can be overcome. And does recent evidence suggest that Sinner has done that? But I still just can't put it out of my mind. Mm. Yeah, I'm there too. And, and even in the three wins that um, Sinner had over Medvedev at the back end of last season, like that was Sinner, you know, surging wasn't it at the end of the season Medvedev I think was pretty tired after after his season and they were still close matches it was two tie breaks one of the finals they played and then the other two were were three setters you know it was Mm. it was tight there wasn't a huge amount in it Um, and there's also the element for Sinner of you know he's just beaten Novak Djokovic on the Rod Laver arena that and I know Sinner's composure and personality after that match we sort of praised didn't we it didn't feel like he was too high after that I mean when has Sinner ever been sort of too high this is this is the guy who came into the press conference after winning the Davis Cup eating an apple like he's that guy (laughs) but I do feel like he's got you know I do feel like he's got a good temperament for, for for trying to back up a big win but it's still something that he, he hasn't done before. You know, he's, he's, he's got to deliver again in the biggest match of his life against a guy who he has lost to six times. So I think I'm going to be predicting Sinner to win. I do think he's ready. But I think this is a closer, closer contest than maybe some of the, some of the odds mm. would suggest. Yeah, we know more than AI, is basically <laughs> well. <laughs> what we're saying there. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I feel think I might predict Sinner to win but I think there are too many people looking at the way they've played and gone Sinner looks brilliant, Medvedev looks rubbish (laughs) Uh, so obviously Sinner's going to win and tennis just just isn't like that but um, I I think I'm going to predict Sinner but I uh, yeah I'll I'll give I'll David Law style give myself another another twelve hours to think about it. Now it doesn't look like the men's doubles final is going to be done anytime soon, uh, so we will cover that in tomorrow's pod. Although I would just like to say that the Italians, Manny Bellelli and Andrea Vavasori, are wearing matching outfits down to the socks, oh. and I'm here for it. Good on them. Hats, socks, shorts, t-shirts. I reckon they've got matching pants on. <laughs> Uh, we'll never know, hopefully. Uh, but I, I'm so here for it. Well done, them. Uh, but we'll let you know the results in tomorrow's podcast. We do have some other results from the wheelchairs and the junior events today. Takito Oda uh, beat the world number one Alfie Hewitt today to lift the men's wheelchair singles title. Um, and that's a, a reverse in fortunes from last year where he won just four games in uh, in the final against Alfie Hewitt. Um, it means that Oda now holds three of the four major singles titles. He won Roland Garros and Wimbledon last year. He says, I didn't change my playing style or anything, but I just grew up to the next level. Um, which I love. I grew up to the next level. It's a really which great expression, I, I think. I, I think I'm going to say that about Yannick Sinner. Yes, he's, he's, he's grown he's, up to the next level. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, he said, it's been one year that I play and practice aggressive play. Practicing is one thing, focus is one thing, playing aggressive and then go to the net, hit the smash, hit strong forehand. I like this guy. <laughs> um, so an incredible breakthrough for Takito Oda, who does seem to be um, the man to beat in men's wheelchair doubles at the moment in the quad uh, men's singles. Sam Shrover's love affair with Melbourne continues. This from a, an article by Matt Trollope on uh, the Australian Open app. He's won his third straight quad wheelchair singles title at the Australian Open. That started with um, with victory over Dylan Alcott, didn't it? Yes, a couple of years ago. Mm, and ended the career of Dylan Alcott. I'm making him sound like a baddie. He completely <laughs> legitimately beat beat Dylan Alcott. Um and we also had surprise, surprise, Dida de Hoot winning the women's wheelchair singles title. She is absolutely extraordinary, isn't she? She beat Yui Kamiji 7 5, 6 4. Really uh, tight final, this one, and her fourth straight Australian Open singles title and her 13th consecutive Grand Slam singles title and that surpasses the record of 12 consecutive singles titles set by Shingo Kanida 
uh, who won 12 consecutive men's singles wheelchair titles between 2007 and 2011. So just extraordinary stuff. Uh, And going back to Japan and the Australian Open that they're having, obviously that victory for Takito Oda, but they also had victory today in the boys' junior title, Ray Sakamoto, a name for the future. He won the boys' title, and he beat the Czech Republic's Jan Kumstadt, 3-6-7-6-7-5. They do seem to have long junior finals here, don't they? It's like a rite of passage for these kids. Um, luckily not really hot today but wow yeah and, and quite interesting how there seems to be finally like some some young Czechs like Jakob Mensik um, young Czech men exactly that's what I mean sorry young Czech men um, because there's, there's been so many good Czech women and the Czech men you know haven't like that era since Stepanek and Burdick there's been a bit of a dearth but now Lehechka and Mahaksha sort of in their early 20s and then you've got um, Mensik and Kumstadt. You've brought Thomas Mahach into things. <laughs> um, uh, Sakamoto celebrated, did you see this, on Championship Points? Yes. He dropped to his knee and he um, mimicked drawing a sword with mm. his racket mm. Keep, keep that up, please. Yeah, I'm really here for him being a thing. And that, <laughs> I mean, imagine if he becomes a big thing in men's tennis. Like that could be iconic, couldn't it? Could be Amazing. his logo. <laughs> uh, the girls' singles title was won by a Slovakian player, Renata Jamrikova. Uh, she won six four six one over Australia's Emerson Jones. Who I've heard quite a lot about this past fortnight from uh, from various Australian pundits. I know they're very excited about her. Uh, she was 16 seed though, Jam Rakova. Uh, six aces and saved five of six break points to clinch her maiden Grand Slam singles title uh, in the pair's first ever encounter on the Rod Laver Arena. This from an article by Jill Tan on the Australian Open website. She was so pleased, Jam Rakova. I... D- I I watch these juniors and I think, bloody hell, they're good. And I just think, oh, turn pro now. Like, obviously, obviously you're a brilliant tennis player, but it's 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 not until you see them play seniors, is it, <laughs> that you, you know, you realise what the difference is. But it's like watching League One football. I can occasionally watch Reading and think, oh, it's all right, <laughs> but they're playing late in Orient. Um, but you get what I mean. That's tonight, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> not sure I'll be watching and think they're thinking they're any good. But there you go. Uh, first Slovakian player to win an AO girls singles title since Teresa Mihalikova in 2015. The fact that I feel like I've never seen that name before, I think, just tells its own story about how we shouldn't we should <laughs> we shouldn't heap too much pressure on these kids. Mm. But um, doesn't hurt to win Grand Slam junior titles does it so that's your day at the Australian Open we have just one more to come wild isn't it it is <laughs> it is crazy absolutely crazy we do seem to have got through this podcast recording so far without being shat on by any seagulls so let's see if we can get through the mascots well it, I was gonna, just going to say it's it's we're actually recording three more shows aren't we before leaving Melbourne we are Yes. Yeah, the Australian Open might only have one more day, but that is not the case for we us die-hard on. podcasters. <laughs> yes, we will be recording a Q&A show, especially for Friends of the Tennis Podcast, and we will also be recording a Australian Open review show with voice notes from special contributors, which is... We record four of them in the year after each of the slams, and they are some of our very favourite shows to record, aren't they? They are... We always think, oh my, oh my goodness, we've said all our takes over the last two weeks. How are we going to find new things to say? But that's kind of the beauty of the voice notes, isn't it? They um, they make us look at things differently. Um, and yeah, we'll be recording that show on Tuesday. Yes, and our Q and A is live on on YouTube for friends. It sure is. Time 
TBC. Ooh, tennis podcast hours need some tidying up <laughs> before we go live. <laughs> yeah, Time TBC will try and make it as convenient a time as possible for as many time zones exactly. as possible. Yeah, and we'll put that on, on social media, in the newsletter. And Absolutely. We'll, probably in tomorrow's podcast as well, we will have confirmed that. Yes, watch this space. We have mascots. We have Usher, our Australian Open mascot. Hello to Usher. Hello, Usher. We have our mascots. Uh, David has Francis. I've got Darwin and Matt has Haida and Soma. I'm playing purely for a fig leaf of respectability at the moment, Darwin. And we got points today. Not many, because everyone thought Sabalenka would win <laughs> in two. But at this stage, points are points. Yep, same here, whereas um, David got trolled by his wife. <laughs> David forgot to do a prediction. <laughs> because so, he wasn't feeling well. Because he wasn't feeling well, so his wife did one for him, and it was a, it was a Hail Mary, <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't come off. Uh, Billy Jean is sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. My brother sent me uh, a picture of Billie Jean being forced to get up early and watch the tennis and she didn't look into it to me uh, we have top folks and executive producers Greg, Chris, Jamie and Jeff hello to you all and we don't have shout outs tonight because it wouldn't be fair to any shout out that doesn't have David Law saying a weird 90s tennis player in conjunction with your name uh, but I will just say shout out to David get well soon and if you're listening go to bed <laughs> Get well, David. Get well, David. We will speak to you all tomorrow night for our final daily Australian Open 2024 podcast. We can't wait. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.